This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Hello and welcome to this BRFCS podcast. In part one we'll be talking to Andy Bays and we'll be exploring what it's like to be a sports presenter in an era where there's no live sport. How are Radio Lancashire coping? We'll also talk with Andy about hosting the Hall of Fame event at Ewood, probably one of the last events to be held before lockdown started and finding out what he asked Kenny Dalgleish, Tim Sherwood and various other people. He'll also give us an update on the latest position with regard to Tony Parks and Lenny John Rose. And in part two, courtesy of our great friends at New York City Rovers, we've got an interview with David Dunn. David doesn't hold back, he talks about his uh, career in full, the reasons he left to go to Birmingham, the reasons he came back, and his disappointment at how his playing career ended at Rovers. It's a great chat. Hope you enjoy it. Down then. So, how's lockdown affecting Radio Lancashire? You know, someone who's a sports journalist and there's no sport, how are you filling the gap? Yeah, um, every Saturday I'm on from two until six. Um, the first Saturday that we did, uh, we had studio guests in. Kevin Gallagher was in. Um, there were two or three others in, and I thought to myself, this will be okay for two or three weeks, and then we can get back to normal. <laughs> And then by the next Saturday, there were no guests allowed in the in the building and haven't been allowed in since, oh, really? um, which is completely understandable. Um, the to to allow people into a building, we 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 are not working to full capacity, and yeah. 
in the building at all at the moment. Um, the program that I'm doing it every Saturday is a, it, it's a lot of fun in the respect that um, it just gives you an opportunity to do th to do things for a little bit longer than you do them before. So at four o'clock every week, when we have been to Downing Street for the briefing, which can last anything between ten and. 20 minutes on a Saturday, we have a former player on to pick his best 1-11 to 11 that he's played with and against. Um, it's not a format that's original, but it's one that that we've really enjoyed doing. And we, we've had Kevin Gallagher on. We had Stephen Reid on last oh, a couple yeah, of days yeah. ago. Yeah. He was brilliant. Um, Ryan Nelson um, playing in his team. Brad Friedel got in his team. Uh, who else? Uh, Rocky Santa Cruz, Craig Bellamy, two guy. All these guys got in his his one to eleven uh, with a load of Republic of Ireland players as well. So um, yeah, he was brilliant. He, he's a lovely, lovely guy, Reedy. I, I got to know him really well when he was at Rovers, and um, he, he's a contender for one of the nicest footballers I, I've ever met. Certainly, and scorers of one of the I think the fiercest goals oh. I've ever seen. That one again. Yeah. That, he, he, he's laughing. He's laughing, Ian, before you finish the sentence. If someone sends a text in, because it's kind of like. He says that was the best it got for me, and, <laughs> and Arrow I straight, feel for him because he was so unlucky, wasn't he? Brilliant yeah, player, yeah, yeah. so unlucky with injury. Yeah, what a great guy. Yeah, we had a couple of good signings from Millwall that time with him and Lucas Neal. I think they, um, yeah, they, they were both um, excellent, um, excellent value for money. That's for certain. So, have you been watching football movies, documentaries, anything that you'd recommend? I've got to be honest, out, out the corner of my eye right now is ITV4's coverage of Euro 96. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm watching England against Switzerland. I've even watched the big match build-up. It's brilliant. 89, the Arsenal documentary. I'm, That's I'm terrific. Doing, I run four miles every morning on my treadmill here. Um, and I normally watch something football-based every morning. At, yeah. No, in, in normal times, it's six in the morning I do it. Uh, now that we're, we're kind of not in normal times, it's seven. But yeah. Yeah, I'm watching the Arsenal 89 one at the moment. It's really good. Uh, I watched the Sunderland one the other week. It made me cringe again, like the series one did. Charlie um, Messon. And it makes me really pleased that Rovers don't do it. The, the, I think there was a few, a few exchanges on Twitter that I had with people sort of saying, you know, it would be really good to get the insight. I think there's certain things that need to be kept in the background, like you, you know, ne mm. never go into a sausage factory or anything like that. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll never exactly. eat them again. It's, I think it's the television equivalent <laughs> thereof. But there we go. Anyhow, before all this strangeness and nonsense happened, before we were told to be alert at all times by our Prime Minister, um, I think one of the last social events we probably had in the county was the, the Rovers Hall of Fame dinner. And um, and you were you were hosting and emceeing it, as I understand. Tell us all about it. What was it like? Amazing. Um, it, it's probably the highlight of my year work-wise for the last two years. It's been amazing to to be asked to be part of it, um, to talk to people who are just my idea of my heroes. Um, so in the last two years, the likes of Alan Shearer, uh, Brad Friedel, um, Simon Garner. Um, this year was was based around Jack Walker's legacy. So yeah. um, Jack Walker was inducted. We we spoke to um, a couple of members of Jack's family on the night. Kenny Dalgleish was in the room. Uh, he did ask to be known as Kenny, not Sir Kenny. That's the way he is. He, he wanted not King to be Kenny. <laughs> no, just down to earth. <laughs> and and uh, Tony Parks was there. Tim Sherwood was there. Uh, we managed to catch up with. Paul Harford, son of Ray, yeah, uh, yeah. while we were at Charlton earlier this season. It was a wonderful evening. Um, I, I have to say, Kenny was just an, an amazing interviewee. He 
people will remember interviews with Kenny as a football manager and perhaps feel that they've never seen the real Kenny Dalglish. Well, I I certainly left the the whole. I've spoken to someone who has personality has come out completely this evening. He was absolutely brilliant. The, the audience loved every part of of what Kenny was talking about. His memory of of everything and, and you know people like me who are sad and remember football matches probably I, I remember football matches in that era so much easier than i remember them in the last five years absolutely and i'm not sure why yeah but but that i, I could probably tell you that there's the score in certain seasons of games if you asked me in 2014-15 how rovers got on against derby i wouldn't have a clue I, I really wouldn't and i yeah. was probably there but it doesn't kind of mean as much for some reason uh, but but Kenny remembered everything from. If you remember this one, when when Alan Shearer kicked the ball out of Goodison Park, um, when when we won that game two one, Colin Hendry heading it on the floor. Oh, I mean that that day I was on the Gladys Street with friends of mine as Everton fans. It was the most horrendous afternoon watching football because I'm sat on me hands for the first six minutes as we go two 0 up, and then get battered for the rest of it and. And talking, Kenny remembered absolutely everything. And, and one of the loveliest bits was of, of talking to him was, I said to him, did it just feel the right time for you at the end of that season to leave? And I've never really heard him talk about it. I, I read his autobiography again before the evening. And he said he'd already decided at the start of that season that it would be his last as manager and already told the club ring. Um, but he actually said on the night, I really wish I'd have done things differently. I really wish things had been a little bit different. He never once said, I wish I'd not resigned. Let, let's not let's not say that. But I think he he felt that he had to distance himself a lot from Ray because Ray was the manager. And he said, really, but if I had my time again, I'd probably have, have been there for Ray a lot more that season because... They did have their difficulties that year. I know they came seventh, but it wasn't a particularly easy season or a particularly good defence of the title. They didn't went away for months, did they? And, yeah, and yeah. they they were poor that year in, in certain regards. And he just said he wishes he'd done things differently. But the biggest thing of, of it all was um, he referred to Tim Sherwood as slippery the entire evening. Never once called him Tim. Slippery was was the way he described him the whole time. He he was asked why, and he said, "Well, look at him; he's a slippery sort of character, isn't?" He? Uh, <laughs> to which the audience were were really loving. And the other issue that he, or I say, issue the, the other lovely thing about speaking to him on every part of the evening that Jack Walker got a mention, he called him Uncle Jack. He didn't call him Jack Walker. He didn't call him Jack. He called him Uncle Jack. From the first minute he arrived to to the minute he left, and he was an absolute joy, a joy to speak to on the night. He really was. What was the uh, what was the best story that came out then, whether from Kenny or Tim? Tim was Tim was quite honest about uh, about some of the capers that, that they got up to in in hotels and and how much they they enjoyed that. Um, Kenny was vividly re- recalling letting David Speedy go to Southampton in exchange for Alan Shearer. And David Speedy saying, well, I'll play midfield. And Kenny's saying, well, I'll, I'll be his partner up front. He's like, no, you won't. And he's like, 
eventually david speedy sadly because we'll all remember when oh, he left and we're all gutted when he left yeah um and uh, and the the other story was in remembering so many fans used to come to the crematorium at pleasanton uh where the team were training before Brockhall. and when it was a friday five aside the numbers would start from probably 10 in the first friday to watch to a couple of hundred and there was a an elderly gentleman who came on a number of occasions to watch he remembers a five-a-side in which ray harford slid in for a tackle missed the ball but took the elderly gentleman <laughs> 10 yards up in the air <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and I think that might have been the last time that he came to watch training on a Friday morning. Um, There's no incoming lawsuit. It was, yeah. it was wonderful. It, it really was. So the reading John Durden's book, you know, the, the Rovers Revolution, when he talks about some of the um, some of the stories from, the, as you say, from training at Pleasanton and all the rest of it, and funeral cortege's going past, and so play would stop. Everybody would respectfully doff their caps. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that would drive through the crowd, and then play would carry on again. They'd have to do the reverse when the cortege yeah. moved out. You think, you know, you know, try telling the kids of today; they won't believe you. It's one of those kind of things. But the modern, the modern footballer is so cosseted. The fact oh, that that, yeah. that superstars and legends David. coped with that. David Speedy had a dinner with probably seven, eight years ago, and he talked about Pleasanton, and um, he, he didn't call it Pleasanton; he called it Dog Something Park. Yes. <laughs> that was that was the only uh, phrase that he had. And, I think and I can imagine. Didn't yeah. want a car share because people would be getting back in their cars yeah, to covered. shower at Ewood Park. Yeah, covered in one or two things before they got the move to Brockle. But it it, it just summed up. It was a different age, wasn't it? Um, yeah. The likes of Shearer washing his own kit every yeah. day. It, it was lovely to see Derek Fazakli as well on the night. Derek came and and spoke about Tony glowingly about knowing Tony. It's 50 years this summer um, that Tony arrived in Blackburn. It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely um, amazing. And Derek was part of that squad then. And and what I didn't know was that, that a, a really good friend of mine, Richard Dennis, who I used to work with regularly on Radio Lancashire, Richard picked Tony up at Blackburn train station to get him for his tra- after he got the train over from Sheffield. And and Richard was his first coach. And, and just to, as luck has it, I think it was the day before the Hall of Fame dinner, uh, myself, Richard, Tony and Kevin Gallagher all went, all went out for some lunch and, and, a, and a coffee and, and just to try and keep Tony involved as much as we could. And it was such a shame that, that everything closed because we were, we were saying we need to do this once every couple of weeks. And, and we all really enjoyed it. And we would have extended the invitations to, to anyone Tony wanted, really. And, that is what I feel for the most at the moment is that his family are struggling to a degree with trying to explain to him why that they can't go yeah, out. Yeah, what's going on. And yeah. It must be awful. It, it really is. You said on your Twitter feed that the interview that you did with Tony and his daughter was the most difficult interview that you've ever done. How, how, yeah. Yeah, how do you hold it together when you're talking to somebody like that? How did, how did you feel when you're actually speaking to him? How did he come across? You know, I, I felt worse watching it back, actually, than when I was there doing it. I'd been to see Tony a, three or four days before we came round with the cameras, and I felt it was only right that Kevin Gallagher was in the room as well, um, just just in case Tony got a touch confused to have another familiar face in the room. Yeah, That made a massive difference. 
it, it's when you know someone in before yeah. this kicks in and, and it's a totally terrible, terrible disease it's oh i've i've gone through it with with family members on a few occasions now and it, and it's it's horrendous to to watch people as they are because tony lives a five minute walk from me right so every day um for years i would i'd be walking my dogs and he would be walking and we'd stop and and have a chat and and talk about rovers normally say how bad they've been in <laughs> times um but all of a sudden i i, I didn't see him anymore and I contacted his daughter, said, how's your dad? And she said, well, he's, he's really struggling. Um, he's been diagnosed. And one of the worst things is, is that with, with Alzheimer's, with a lot of people, you don't see it. If you just saw Tony Parks walking down the road, you wouldn't know that Tony had Alzheimer's. So one of the biggest issues was, um, if ever Tony was in Blackburn Town Centre with his daughter or son-in-law or, or granddaughter, People were coming up to him right. wanting to talk about rovers. The problem was he was, according to his daughter, who, who is doing a remarkable job, she said it, it's kind of appearing that he's rude, yeah. that he's, he's not speaking back to people. I, I had a conversation with her. I said, would it be right to publicly say, particularly before the Hall of Fame dinner, where he'll be probably surrounded by 300 people who all want a picture and a selfie and, a, and an autograph, would it be better if people know? And they had a thought, think about it for a few days and, and thought that that would be the case. It made sense for me to do it because I know Tony. Um, I've got a bit of experience talking to who, who are going through similar things. It never gets any easier. Um, and, th and the day it went out on the radio and the day we put the video out and, and so many people commented and retweeted it that number one it it made it worthwhile um and number two it just made it so obvious how respected tony is in the in the game and the, I, I must mention the blackpool boys in in this because he, he didn't spend a massive amount of time with blackpool but what he did was he kept them in the championship and he signed Charlie Adam for them. He signed DJ Campbell for them. He, he did an unbelievable job at Blackpool. Left Ian Holloway, a brilliant squad of players. And he took them up. And, and the Blackpool players from that time have never forgotten that, the, the role that he played. And um, he, he's been back recently to go and see them play. Um, he's been to Preston North End lately. He's been to Ewood with me. Um, and it, it's about keeping him um his mind as busy as possible Absolutely. it's about showing him how much people love him and think about him and, and it's about giving his family that little bit of respite that they need because it's not easy well i thought you did a terrific one. job with that interview i have to say and when he was uh, when he was presented to the crowd and he came out and there was a you know the outpouring of emotion it was um mm. i think it was fantastic that with well particularly with it, as events have unfolded that he had that opportunity then to at least receive the warmth of the crowd and all the rest of it um it's 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 just a terrible terrible disease and as you say for the for the carers as well it's just debilitating to see mm. someone that you love so much and, and fear that they might not recognize you at all one morning i think that must be a terrible terrible situation i'll tell you what else was lovely as well the the the, the it was his birthday very recently and um I, I spoke to Natalie, Tony's daughter, and said, look, if I try and ask one or two people to send him a birthday video, would, yes, it, yes. Keep him, would it keep him occupied? Well, 
you send out a video, you send out a, a, a message rather to to a load of friends from Blackburn Rovers, and not often do you get everybody reply and go, "Yeah, when do you want it?" And within certainly within five minutes, Alan Kelly and Craig Shaw have both sent videos in five minutes, um, and everybody else soon followed. And la- just after his birthday, actually, Graham Sooners rung me up and said. I've missed his birthday, haven't I? Can I send a message belatedly? I said, yeah, of course you can. And uh, and, and Graham said he's going to do everything he can to get up to a game as soon as possible. So yeah, it's it, it's it's brilliant. I'm, I'm so pleased that um, so many people hold him in such high regard, just like I do. I was just going to say, you acted as a conduit for all of that outpouring of emotions i think you deserve a, a fair share of credit for that as well but it, it, it as you say it's it's so nice that so many people hold him in the same esteem that we do as as fans um there's, there's no higher tribute i can pay but you've also got of course over the last couple of years in particular particularly close to to lenny john rose who is is must be going through it with his motor neurone disease how is he when did you last see him andy and how is he coping under the circumstances uh, I, I, I last saw him before lockdown I, I, I am in touch with him on a regular basis. Um, the, the frustrating thing is the, the Len John Rose Trust is is an organisation that, that, that I help him with. And we have travelled to various football clubs for Len to do a presentation about the disease, about um, the, the risks in, in sportsmen and professional sportsmen who unfortunately have a much higher percentage of getting motor neuron disease. It, it really does. Um, and since lockdown uh len has started actually doing a podcast with some yes, people from yeah. the university of central lancashire um i'm delighted he's doing that keeps people informed of his health um it isn't good uh, he he's largely in a wheelchair he's um recorded his voice with a voice bank um the voice is definitely getting weaker has been for some time um he's 50 years old now. I was at his 50th birthday uh, just before Christmas. Um, for someone who is so young to have such a horrendous disease, he was in a great job at a school, uh, very, very happy in what he was doing. Um, he, he had to give up his job pretty quickly. Um, it's it's a, a shocking illness here. And, and what I would say is, until he told me that he had it, I was oblivious to it pretty much i'd heard of it but i didn't really know a great deal about it and i think the help that stephen darby's foundation are, are doing right now as well to raise awareness for motor neuron disease is is, is admirable because um the diseases don't go up against each other in terms of who gets the most um spotlight on it but motor neuron disease is something that has gone under the radar for too long and it's it's something that is creeping into society a lot more hopefully with with the work Len's doing and Stephen Darby and the Darby Rimmer Foundation are doing it, it can only help I only spoke to Gary Bowyer on on Saturday who is raising money for the Darby Rimmer Foundation target was to raise two and a half thousand pounds uh, in about a month I think he raised it in an hour um, as soon as the uh, yeah. as soon as the just giving page went yeah. up so um, don't ever let people tell you that but people are not generous because 
they, they get a bad press footballers and, and they have again during this lockdown and oh, it's been appalling for the life of me understanding the, num- the number of premiership, premiership players that, that earn those huge salaries but that have, they have their charitable foundations and they do so much and particularly the foreign ones that will send money home or will um, invest in their own countries I just uh, yeah, and the first thing that happens is well, you should be paying for the nurses and this that and the other I just think it, it's such a soft target it really is appalling but, uh, but wasn't Bradley Johnson brilliant oh yeah one of so many, I think, that have made made personal sacrifices of time, energy, money, uh, and and helping to facilitate and get things like that done. But uh, yeah. certainly, pass on all our all our best to Lynn. Obviously, the prognosis for that disease is is just horrific. Um, yeah. he's, hand, he's handling it super uh, superbly. Uh, you know, under the circumstances, I don't know how when you're faced with news like that. You, you well, it's it, his but... family, and his his wife Nadine is is amazing. Um, both is he's got three children. Two of them live at home. Um, they they are just there is remarkable people who who help him with every regard, um, and and he is he's a very very strong willed man. Is is Len John Rose? Uh, I'm I'm in no doubt that he's recording his voice in a voice bank so that he can broadcast his views. Um, every day for the rest of his life because um, the, the world would be a, a sadder place if we couldn't hear Len John Rose absolutely hammer someone. Well, he's certainly um, not short of opinions, is he? That's one thing we can say. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Tren- trenchant and controversial as they may be. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have a row on a, such a regular basis on a Friday night. I, 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 love, <laughs> I, I love nothing more than having a row with Len on a Friday. It's brilliant. Full and frank exchange of views. Well, it's lovely. It's lovely to hear, and thank you once again, Andy, for giving up your time. It's much, much appreciated. It's so it's good well, to get pleasure. a bit of insight onto the uh, into the Hall of Fame. We've no actual sport to talk about just at the moment, unless we're going to do minute by minute of the South Korean League as it started last week. But uh, I think that might be pushing it a bit for a BRSCS <laughs> podcast. So uh, your, your insight and your contribution is is uh, gratefully received as always, Andy. So thank you very much once again. Well, I hope we get back soon because it, it, we're all missing it. We all want our Saturdays and Tuesdays and everything else back, don't we? But Absolutely. until it's right, oh, I, we've got to we've got to yeah. wait, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm certainly not advocating an early return at the expense of um, people having to uh, in the NHS having to cope with a wave because crowds are gathered outside grounds or whatever. It's got to be done properly. But thank you once again, sir. I'll let you go back to your, uh, to your family and uh, do your daily exercise and, of course, carry on staying alert. we hand over in part two to Stephen and Jay of the NYC Rovers. Make sure you follow them on Twitter at NYC Rovers and it's their interview with Rovers legend David Dunn. So we are here with David Dunn who, of course, appeared for Rovers 316 times, netting 50 goals. So we're delighted to welcome you, Dunny. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Very welcome. Glad to be on. Yeah, in these uh, strange... It's funny how normal Zoom is seeming all of a sudden, all these uh, 
Are you still doing, um, do you do Zoom conferences with players from Blackpool? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. We, we haven't done for a little while, obviously, because of the, we give the players um, three weeks off just because we don't know really what's happening just yet with the, um, when we can be back in or if we're going to be back in. So um, no point giving them too much work to do and then have another rest and it's just too too up in the air at the minute, you know. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, I think it's regardless of the industry that you're in, it's crazy at the moment. As so, it is every industry though, you know, it's, I think the, um, the health's probably, well, it is the main thing. So sport, unfortunately, is just a little, a little part of all our lives. Um, but health's certainly got to be the main thing. Yeah? So um, probably the right thing, what they're, what they're doing, you know, we need to, we need to get everyone safe and then everything can hopefully return to normal after that. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, so to open things up, I wanted to ask you uh, what your favourite ever goal at Ewood was, and where you and where you on side for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think most most supporters would probably say the off uh, the the um, the offside goal um, against Burnley, but um, I don't know. Maybe my I, I would probably say my favourite goal. Um, you know, looking back. Is, is maybe the one against Aston Villa when Peter Schmeichel was in goal. Mm. Um, I cut in off the right and, um, and had a shot with my left foot. So that was, um, I probably thought that was the best finish at Ewood. But obviously a lot of people would say, um, would say the, the so-called offside goal. It wasn't <laughs> actually offside, obviously, because it's, it's, it, was, it was a goal that stood. So, um, yeah, obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny actually. I remember it's probably kind of being a nineties child, but any goal that went in against Michael, whether he was at United or not, was always just felt extra special to me. Yeah, I mean to beat a to beat a goalkeeper of that you know that calibre, you know, you you always um, it's always quite special. You know, I'm sure a lot of people thought that when um, when they used to beat Brad Friedel because um, he was another special goalkeeper that was very difficult to to get past. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of uh, former players, I think Jay has a, a question in regards to uh, some of the players that you've played with. Okay, so uh, you've been blessed to play with some fantastic players. Um, if you could pick one in particular, who would you say was the best you ever played alongside? In a Blackburn shirt? Yeah, I guess we'll go, we'll go Blackburn and then maybe, maybe pick one for Blackburn and then one for overall, you know. Um. You know, it's so difficult to, to pick. I mean, the obvious choice would be, you know, two guy. Um, you know, he was an absolute world beater player. You know, he was, I just wish I'd have seen him a little bit, uh, played with him a little bit earlier on in his career, you know. And, uh, and again, two guy, you know, um, you know, it would have been good to see him, you know, at some point test himself at, you know, a without being too disrespectful, a bigger club, you know, like a top, a top, top team, you know, um, it would have been, you know, good to see him, to see if he, um, how he would have gelled and how we, how he would have done in one of them, you know, Champions League teams and see, and see what, mm -hmm. what he would have done there, you know, with, with a team that predominantly would have had more possession, which would, you would, you would think would, you know, make him stand out even more, you know, with the more control the teams get. Um, 
But you know, you know, Damien Duff was another fantastic player for Blackburn as well. You know, and went on to to win the Premier League with Chelsea. Um, you know, Matt Janssen. You know, there's 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 many players, and and also you you know that's that's forgetting like Andy Coles and Dwight Yorks that have had amazing careers at Man United. But I probably <clears throat> got them at the back end of, of their career. So so they say. You know, so. Um, you know, and then and then obviously I had a really good partnership in the midfield with, uh, with Gary Flitcroft as well. So, you know, I played with some really, I'm really lucky uh, to to have played with some some really really good top players. You know, and um, you know we we are very lucky to to play in that team at times. You know. Yeah, truly. How about um, um, away from Rovers? Um. It's a good question. You know, with the 21s and England, you'd probably play with some household names. Uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make it even. I'll make it easier for myself, and I'll go best player I played against. Okay. Um, I would say Patrick Vieira, mm. uh, just because he was so. Um, and obviously, he's got a he's got a link at New York, so um, oh, maybe maybe that's. Um, why I'm saying it, but um, no, I think um, Vieri had everything. He had pace. He could pass. He scored goals. He, he could tackle. He broke play up. He was. He, re- he really was like a top top player. And every time, you know, I came against him, you know, you, he was he was excellent. He was. I, I thought he was. Um, in terms of me against against someone in the middle of the pitch, I always thought he was the best one. I the best challenge. You know. Do you find when you come up against players that are really kind of world famous everywhere you go, is that something that's intimidating or is that something that really kind of fires you up for the game? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, at the time, you know, even, you know, back, I, I, I just mentioned back with the 21s, you know, Xavi, Pierlos, all these kind of players. You know, when you go on the pitch against them, you're off, you know, you're confident in your own ability and you think you could... You think you can take them on anywhere, so it's, um, it's kind of not something I've ever been phased at. Wherever I've, whoever I've played against, I've, ne- I've never been um, overawed by any any player I've played against. You know? So um, I think that's you know you've just got to go out there and and you know probably um, think you're better than them, really. You know, and I used to go on the pitch every time, and I was super confident, and I thought I could take anyone on. So. I never went on the pitch thinking, you know, I'm going to be worried here, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I kind of feel like you kind of exemplified that Rovers spirit, really, of quite often where kind of the, uh, you know, we got that fighting spirit of the underdog, so to speak, and we're willing to, you know, take it to anyone and everything. So getting back to a player that you mentioned too, Guy, I'm kind of, I want to put a rumour to bed, but either by confirming it or not confirming it, or denying it rather. So I've heard this rumor several times that whilst he was at Rovers, he smoked thirty-five cigarettes a day. Well, <laughs> I don't know if he, he certainly had the odd, he certainly had the odd, uh, the odd cigarette here and there. But um, I wouldn't like to say it was thirty-five or fifteen <laughs> or five. But he, um, you know, on match days, he had a, he, he used to chill out and, and have a little cigarette before uh, before the game. Yeah, and it has been known in the. In the changing rooms at half time as well, in the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> it's just incredible because he had such an engine on him. 
But you know what? It was such a likable. You know, I'm so anti-smoking, but I think Two Guy was such a likable um, bloke as well as a fantastic player that he kind of was probably one person that kind of got away with with a lot. You know. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know how kind of humble he was. I, I mean, I, I don't think um, I've heard anyone say a bad word about him. You know? No, no, he's such a he's just such a lovable guy somehow. Like he just. And then obviously he was a fantastic player as well, so that helps. Uh, so, uh, David, um, in your career, was there a particular manager that stands out to uh, being vital to your career or to your development, or uh, any any particular manager that uh, stands out at all? Well, obviously, I, I, I cast my mind back. Obviously, Roy Hodgson was my first manager when I went full time, who um, who gave me my debut. Uh, so obviously that was kind of a special time for me uh, and it was always good to have a top manager that kind of believed in you to give you that opportunity but I think it was only when Graham Souness came in that um, I really felt you know like you know he made me feel so good and he made me feel like I was the best player every time I went on the pitch so um, you know, I, would, I, would, I, would pro- I would probably say Graham was the one that really kicked me on and and um, although we didn't always see eye to eye, not in a not in a bad kind of way, maybe me just being a bit young and being a bit cocksure, I suppose. Um, you know, when I look back now, I wish I'd have just got my head down a little bit more and, and took certain things on board. But um, it is what it is, you know. But I would say, you know, to answer your question, I would say Graham was the one that really. You know, took me on to a different level, really. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that he was a great manager to work on. Yeah, um, so recently, I heard uh, Alan Shearer talking about that his goal that he scored uh, in 1985 in that game against Newcastle right before the end of the season was one of the loudest noises he'd ever heard at Ewood. I was wondering if you cast back through your memories, is there any time at Ewood you remember as being particularly loud? Um. I don't know if I remember it. I, I do remember one game, it was really early on in the career, but it wasn't at Ewood, it was at, um, it was at the new, uh, it was at the Riverside against Middlesbrough. And I actually remember going on, uh, it was at the time when Janino and, and all them were playing, you know, and I, um, I remember coming on at the Riverside and thinking, God, I couldn't hear myself think. I was like, I, it, was, it was really strange, you know. Uh, but again, I know we've mentioned it. Uh, uh, Ewood, you know, when I scored the the, the equaliser against uh, against Burnley was um, you know, it was such a it was such a blur in the end. But um, you know, watching the footage and, and seeing the um, it, it, it never fails to kind of put a smile on my face, you know, and uh, have a little giggle. Yeah, <laughs> okay, was, what a moment! I was actually listening. Uh, I was listening to that on uh, Radio Rovers because it wasn't on TV here in the states, and iFollow wasn't around yet. Um, and my connection went out just before that happened, so I was just kind of counting the minutes, yeah. assuming that we had lost. And yeah. then later, I see on Twitter that you had scored. So. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, 
you know, the, the, I suppose the, the, the other thing for me is, and this is just the way I am, I, I felt like I never got overly, you know, the, obviously the supporters and everyone involved in the club were really happy that they could carry the run on. Um, but personally, I was withdrawn with Burnley. Why are we all getting too? Um, why are we getting too carried away with mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> with them at the, at the time? You know, I know they've pains as old to say, but you know they've they've done they've done very well, and you know, in Sean Dyche, they've they've got a good manager there and someone I speak to quite often. Um, but um, you know, hopefully, yeah. then them days will come back and we can get back on the uh, back on top. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, another thirty that years. Lead, that that leads me to a uh, another question that I had. Um, if yourself, Alan Shearer, Simon Garner, and uh, and Gamps Pedersen are all walking uh, walking down the street in Burnley, <laughs> who's going to get the most abuse? I would say I'd probably have a good chance. <laughs> I would probably have a good chance of getting a, uh, quite a lot of abuse, yeah. Um, but you know what? You know, I come from a little place just outside of uh, Blackburn in Great Harwood that is pretty, probably 50-50. So, uh, believe it or not, I've got quite a lot of close friends that um, are Burnley fans as well. So. Over the years, it's been great, certainly when I was playing, because I always had the last laugh. But um, unfortunately, in the latter years, I've, um, I've had to keep my mouth shut quite often. You know? um, but um, like I said, hopefully, hopefully um, Blackman can get back in the league and uh, in the Premier League and we can, um, can have a few more laughs at them there. Any quite interesting, actually. I feel like you were kind of singled out on Rovers' Twitter when it comes to Rovers and Burnley. I feel like the Burnley fans, I think they actually, the not only obviously they're trying to wind you up, but I actually think they secretly enjoy corresponding with you. I think that you were... Uh... Yeah, you know what? And, and from my tweets as well, I like to give them a little bit. <laughs> I like to wind them up. Um, but, you know, I've got the Premier League kind of shouting my locker and they've kind of... Um, they come back and say, where are you now? You know, So it's, it's a bit of give and take. And yeah. the, the, hard, the, the hardest thing for me is I was actually, I've actually never been beat off and whilst I've been on the pitch, because um, when we got beat in, the, in, the, in my last game, I obviously, we was winning when I got subbed, um, which I felt that changed the game a little bit. I felt mm. if I stayed on the pitch, I think we would have won. Um, just because I felt like I was, I don't know, just a little bit, not scared of me, but they, they felt I could hurt them. And I was, I, I felt that they were always putting a couple of players around me to try and keep me quiet. Um, and I think, you know, when, when Gary Boyd took me off, I think that's, uh, that was a, a turning point for them. I think it gave them a real, a real lift to take, you know, to take the local lad off that's, that's had so much success over the years against them. I felt that, mm-hmm. you know, give them a real, really big lift to, to go on and, and get them next goals. And as soon as the first goal went in, I thought, dear me, here we go. Um, yeah. That's what it is. 
I do actually remember you going off and kind of having that, mm, I'm not sure this is the right call kind of feeling about it. So Definitely wasn't. <laughs> um, as a lot of... Um, as a lot of uh, decisions in them that, that last couple of years that I had, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Um, so I wanted to ask you about the uh, your time at Birmingham, or more specifically, the decision to leave Rovers, and if it, if it was something that hurt to leave, and um, I, I read in the media at the time there was a number of clubs that were interested in you. What was the decision behind going to Birmingham, and, and what were, what led up to it? Um, poor, where should I start? You know, I think we played Tottenham at White Hart Lane, uh, and I wasn't, I was sub. I think I just got a little bit frustrated. Um, you know, probably a little bit rash. Um, and at the time, my agent at the time was, he looked after Steve Bruce, he was Steve Bruce's agent. So it happened quite quickly, really. They were up, an up-and-coming team that, you know, with the Gold and, and David Sullivan, the Gold Brothers and David Sullivan in, involved, and Karen Brady, obviously. Um, you know, they were they were spending a few quid, um, and it kind of engineered, really. I, I feel. Um, having said that, was it a good move? I, I don't know. I, I, it obviously wasn't in hindsight because I had an injury nightmare, you know, and you know, it, it, it wasn't great for me. Career-wise, um, but you know, off the pitch, it grew, it grew me up a lot. I was, you know, I needed to start becoming more mature and, and looking after myself rather than getting everything done for me around here with my grandma and stuff. So, um, in, in some ex, in some aspects, it did me really well, and then in others, not so well. But uh, that's kind of how it happened. I had I had other clubs and I was given an, a bit of an ultimatum off Birmingham. Uh, I was actually going to the States and they said you need to sign um, before you go, otherwise the deal is off. And I kind of looking back, I should have just said right. Well, I'll, if you want me, then I'll I'll make my decision in time. But I uh, kind of was pushed and, and rushed into it really, and I ended up signing. Um, I, I had the Everton, Chelsea, uh, who else was there? Um, Everton, Chelsea, Middlesbrough at the time. So I probably probably should have waited and, and maybe gone for Chelsea. But um, you, did you score in your debut for um, for Birmingham? I um, yeah, I missed. I think I missed a penalty. I think I missed a penalty against Tottenham. Mm. Um, in the opening game and then put the rebound in so I think it was that anyway I think, it was, I think we played Tottenham yeah so I have just this memory of you going to Birmingham and scoring on your debut so you know what I, I started the season really well um, the first you know three or four months very close to getting in the England squad and then I got injured just before Christmas I think um, which was a bit of a, a downer um, you know, my first six months, I was, I felt really good. <clears throat> um, and then it didn't go too well after that. You know, I, that was the start of a, an horrendous time with, with my hamstrings. And, you know, looking back now, did I, did I 
do everything in terms of rehab best I could. I don't know, maybe I took shortcuts at times to get back quicker. Uh, and then obviously I had my spine fusion, which, which put me out for, for almost a year, you know. So it's, um, it, it is what it is. And then, you know, coming back to Blackburn, I kind of, I, you know, I, I, I played 60 games at Birmingham in three and a half seasons. And then I think I played maybe 20 games for Blackburn from January to the end of the season. So I, yeah, it just shows, you know, I just, in my, I was comfortable in, uh, in, this, in this setting and I wasn't travelling. You know, I had a little girl at the time that lived up here and I was travelling back and forth at the M6. So did driving do me any good, sat in a car for, for three hours, every, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 I don't know, who knows, but um, certainly uh, I'm sure it didn't do me any, any favours, you know. Yeah, I guess it's. Uh, I remember. In, I remember the day of you coming back to Rovers and everything. And, and I'm pretty sure. I'm trying to think how old I was at the time. But I remember getting done on the back of my shirt and everything. So it was. Yeah. At the same time, it just felt like a. It was like kind of like a hero's return, right? So it was. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, I think the Sheffield. Was it Sheffield United? My, my the first game I came back. Sounds about right. I think it was Sheffield United, and I'm almost positive I got a free kick, and I think Morton scored from it. So. Yeah. Kind of take the assist, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Take the assist. Um, so uh, go- going back to uh, some uh, some brighter moments in your career, um, if you were if you could only keep one memory, and it had to be either of these two from your career, would it be gaining promotion at Deepdale in two thousand one? Or uh, the Worthington Cup win in 2002? Oh, good question. <laughs> I think you were going to say them too. Uh, what would I say? I think to win a major, major trophy is a really big, really big honour, really. You know, League Cup, FA Cup, whatever it is, the league, you know, I. I feel that's a, that's a really big achievement. Probably my biggest achievement, you know, as a as a player. My only achievement, really, in terms of major trophies. But uh, I would, but having said all that, I would I would have to say the promotion. You know, I think really? you know to score 18 goals that season, play a really big part in it, um, and get it back into the Premier League. You know. Although the Worthington Cup was was great, and we went on a good run to it, and you know, won the final, and I think it was the final was the the, the first ever final indoors because the roof was on uh, uh, in, in Cardiff. But um, you know, over the course of them them forty games or whatever it was, then I, I felt that was a really big achievement because you had to do it consistently all season. So I think. I'd probably have to say the promotion was the most fulfilling, should I say. Okay. So, um, jumping forward to current day, are there any members of the current Rovers squad that you wish you would have had the opportunity to play with? I think Blackman have got some really, really good, good young players now, you know. Um, I still, you know, I still think the Without being too harsh, I still think there are probably three, four, five players off 
really getting and getting in them playoffs. You know, although they they could have got in the playoffs this season, you know, with a run they were on possibly, um, and they picked up. They were, they were doing, they were doing well, you know. But um, you know, you know, I really like Dara Lenehan. Um, I think Dara is a really good player. I think that the, um, I think the team misses him when he, when they, when he doesn't play. Oh, of course. Um, I think you know Lewis Travis, obviously coaching him myself. You know, I think Travis a really good. Solid pro that I think will will if if Blackman don't go up, I can see I can see Trav you know going on and, and going somewhere and possibly getting in the Premier League uh, and obviously you know the Bradley Dak who's been I, I feel excellent over the past couple of seasons you know and he always pops up and he's he's kind of the talisman now you know. Uh, just a shame he, you know, coincidentally, you know, Blackburn kind of, the run of form they went on was when Dackie got injured, but nevertheless, you know, that doesn't take anything away from Dackie. I think he's, he's the, the main player, really. Uh, I think he's the, you know, the player that makes things happen for them. Um, but again, you know, I think Adam Armstrong has done, done very well. He's looked a real threat. Um, Especially um, since Dak went down. Yeah, I think so. But that's not to say that he wouldn't have he wouldn't have come up trumped, you know, if um, if Dackie would have been playing, right? You know, I, I I think Dackie's probably the, the one player that has, has you know stood out over the last couple of years. Certainly, certainly for me, for you know, the position I played in an attacking midfielder, I would say Dackie, you know, he's the one that probably excites me more. Not not that that's all football is about, but I would say I enjoy watching that game. Uh, but they were a good group, you know. They were a good group, and I'm sure I'm missing missing a couple out there. But um, hopefully they can um, they can have a good run if the season carries on, and they can keep the form going, and hopefully nudge away and get and just get in them playoffs and, and scrape away, you know, scrape in there. So uh, speaking of that, how do you think, in your opinion, uh, and there's no wrong answers here, but how should the football, how should the current season be resolved? Um, well, I said, how, how do we go forward? Oh, I, do you know what? Too, too tough a answer, answer for me to, to, you know, <laughs> to comment, but um, what would I say? What, what would I say? I, I, I hope that they can... They can finish the season if at all possible. I think it would be right. What do I think is going to happen? I've got a feeling the Premier League will be able to finish at some point, but I think the rest of the leagues might not. Um, I've got a feeling that, that they might not finish. Um, and that's just down to finances, really. Mm -hmm. so I, I feel that the you know, like the Bundesliga and the top leagues around um, Europe can, can probably finance the testing and the right protocols and procedures to, to be in place. So they give them the best chance of, of, of being safe. Um, and let's be honest, that's, that's what it's about. It's about, you know, these footballers, 
although they're in the public eye and like a lot of sports people, you know, that but they've got families, they've got children, got got their, their own you know, wives and families that they've got to look after and make sure they're safe as well. And that's the um, that's the main thing. And also, what people, you know, they think that I feel like the at times footballers are just thrown out. You know, get on with it. You you know, we we're gonna we you just got to get out on the pitch, but. People forget the anxiety that, that footballers might have going out playing football, you know. Because let's be honest, it's a physical game. There'll be cuts, there'll be sweat, there'll be sweat. I don't know, you know, there'll be a lot of physical, you know, a lot of touching. Um, so you know, there will be certain players that are quite anxious about going back to playing football. And if they're anxious, is it is it the right thing? I don't know. It's It's... It's, it's very difficult to, to know which way. Um, but I hope, I think it would be very unfair to, to relegate teams, even though they might be way, like for instance, Bolton in League One, even though they're, they're way below. I still think it would be very difficult to, to demote people. Mm. But I think if, if, you, if you're going to promote and do a points per game or some kind of ratio if they, if they feel that that's the right thing but um, I don't know I don't know I, I really don't I don't know what you, would be. Are you uh, are you planning on or looking forward to watching any Bundesliga? I am I'm, I'm supporting Fortuna Dusseldorf because my friend's the assistant there so wow. um, and Juve's gone in Juve Rosler's the manager Rob Kelly's gone in there as, as assistant so I'm going to be following in fact, I've just been on a, a group chat with a lot of my friends, and they're uh, we're all picking our uh, our German team that we're going to support during this nice. uh, this lockdown. Yeah. Nice. So if we uh, if we were to take a, a crystal ball right now and look long into the future, is there any possibility that we see David Dunn as Robbers manager one day? Well, I, d- I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm at the very start of um, my own. Kind of coaching, you know. I had a I had a really tough time at Oldham, you know, in in, in almost impossible circumstances and really tough, really tough circumstances. Yeah. So um, and then obviously the twenty threes give me my grounding. I really enjoyed working with Damien, who's obviously a good friend as well. Then I moved up to the first team with Tony. I really enjoyed that. Um, and now I'm back in at Blackpool, you know. So uh, I'm enjoying the, the short time I've, I've been in there. Uh, and I enjoyed the caretaker role uh, the, the, the other month. So who knows? I think um, I would like to um, at some point be back involved at a club, possibly. Um, whether that's in five years, 10 years, 20 years, I don't know, in, in whatever role it is. It might even be as, I mean, scout, I don't know. But I, listen, I have a really big affinity with the club and uh, it's always got a special place for me. So um, maybe maybe in the future, who knows, uh, you never know. But at the minute, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying my time at Blackpool down the road and um, you know, the owner's got big plans, so... Who knows what will happen uh, in the future? 
That's great. Well, you've got a lot of time done here. Um, so I just want to finish things with a couple of questions from Twitter, if that's okay. Um, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. They're all from Burnley fans, just so you're aware. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're posing as Accrington Stanley fans. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So this one is from uh, Russell at Barman Russell on Twitter. He said, how did David find Belfast when he was here doing his badges? Did he get up to any mischief or get to see any of Northern Ireland? You know what? I have, uh, I have fond memories in Belfast. I, I go to Belfast every, oh, every, every summer, every two years, if not every summer. Um, I did all my badges there. Um, I was there last year and I went to the Milk Cup to watch uh, the under-16s and the under... Um, like it was actually under-17s and under-15s games. Um, I was over in Derry. I've got a friend. I've got friends in Derry, which I which I go and visit. Um, you know, I, I I really like it. In terms of mischief, there was um, yeah, there was a few bars I went in. So uh, we enjoyed ourselves. It's um, well, as you can imagine, a group of 10, 15, 20 lads all together. <laughs> so, it's a good time. A lot of late nights and a lot of long days, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's a good place. Really good people. Um, so it's it's a place that I, I enjoy going to Belfast. It's a good place. Excellent. So we actually had a, a number of questions regarding the best play you've ever played with at Rovers, which obviously you already answered for us. So I'd, I'd just like to finish on this question from Martin MJ, who is at Martin MJ Twenty Two on Twitter. Um, he said, Dunny was magical in our 2-0 win against Charlton in the FA Cup, a game I was lucky enough to be at live. But then he couldn't get a game afterwards. Was anything said to him about why he wasn't playing? Why does he think he didn't play, even though he showed he could still boss games? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I came off that game. I came off in the second half, having felt really, really good. Um the manager said to me at the time, Gary, he just said, look, I'm bringing you off because you know, I want you to be ready for next week. So I thought, you know, I've done enough to get, bearing in mind the team weren't on a great run. We weren't winning a lot of games. Um, and then I didn't play, I think, for six weeks. So um, I'm not sure. Um, without me being too critical on, on anyone, I, I've just mentioned I was doing my badges. Um, you know, I was, I wouldn't, you know, I probably am a little bit outspoken in turn because I, because I love the club and I want the club to do well. So whatever I could do to, to help, um, I used to say if, if, if managers and coaches asked me as a player what I thought, you know, I, w I weren't one for, for beating around the bush, I would say, what I thought because I wanted the team to win. Let's be honest, I felt that that season was probably very frustrating for me because I felt that that was a really, really good chance of getting promotion back to the Premier League and that's what we all wanted. No one more so than me. Um, but I was 35, 36 and I've got a feeling there was a little bit of me thought I was maybe a little threat. So, rather my, my, my feelings are, rather than me, if I played games like I did against Charlton, which I played well, 
the more of them games I had over the over the season, the fans would then say, "Ah, oh, Dunny deserves another year. He's playing well." But rather than having to give me another season, I felt that they starved me from playing. So then, at the end of the season, they could just say, "He's not played any games. Uh, we've got to we've got to let him go." And I I'm more or less certain that that's you know from speaking to people after I, I, I feel that that's what happened yeah it certainly which, makes sense which you know what is really sad because I played the last game at Ipswich and again you know you know the Ipswich players were coming to me saying how have you how have you not been playing mm-hmm. um, I mean it, it, it's great to hear at times but I, I felt such a disappointment and it's like actually failed I felt that I felt we failed as a team that year because we should have done better. I mean, you go through the team, you know, Grant, Rosie, Stead, Self, Kearney, Corey, Lowy. You know, we had we had some good good players that, that should have got out of that league, you know. Um, but I feel that that's, rather than, rather than play me, so they had to give me another year. Um, I think that starved me, so then I'm easily forgotten then, so... Yeah, it's sad that it went that way. Definitely, uh, to justify then, because the, 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 easy, the easier answer is, well, he's not really played, he's not fit. I was actually fit. If you look, I was on the bench most of the time. Um, so, But the, 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 the other hard thing that season was not getting on the pitch, even as a sub. You know, if, you know I, I, I understand that, that 35, 36, you're getting older, and, and I couldn't or possibly couldn't start in every game. But what I definitely did when I came on the pitch, whether I was 20 years old or 35 years old, I definitely, when I came on, made an impact in games um, just because of the way I played. And I felt at Ewood, when I came on, I felt that everyone got a little lift as well. I think the crowd got a little bit more vibrant and got behind us. Um, So I felt that I weren't even getting on the pitch to make a difference. Mm. You know, even when we, you know, it's crying out for us. And, you know, there was times when I was on, on the bench and I was, I was almost nearly crying with, like, anger, really, because I, I knew that I could make an impact and I wasn't being allowed to, to do it. Yeah, uh, I can't even imagine how frustrating that must have been. It was so, honestly, it was so frustrated. I, ca- I can't even tell you how frustrated I was at times during that season um, and it, I just feel so sorry because I feel that if I'd have played another 10-15 games that year I honestly think we'd have picked up more points to, and I think we would have been up there yeah no, I definitely agree with that but hey, it's in the past now and, and it's something that you know it, it is what it is yeah, exactly. Oh, Dunny, just before you go, I think Jay was hoping you could authenticate something from him. <laughs> Is this so the shirt? I... Is this the shirt that in the pre-season game? Yes, exactly. Oh, good question. I have no idea. Just, just, it doesn't matter if you don't have an idea. Just say what? you wore it. <laughs> what size is it? Um, it is... It looks like XL. No, definitely not mine. I wore medium. <laughs> 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 if, it's, if it's XL, it's got a chance. Um, 
No, the, the shirts out. I'm only kidding. Um, <laughs> usually that would be, uh, the XLs would be one size fits all pre-season. So there's a good chance I would have, um, I would have worn that, yeah. It's got, if it's number eight and it was preseason, I, I would imagine it would be. Um, yeah, it's got to be preseason because they didn't. What, what, didn't what, what preseason was that? Uh, it was. Um, it would have been Paul Ince. Paul Ince. Which was the game? Uh, I think it was against. Um, oh, I keep wanting to say it's either it was either Macclesfield or Peterborough. One of those. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's not fine. sure. But I'll tell you what, yes, I did wear it. <laughs> there you go. I did wear it. Guaranteed authentic. Match worn. <laughs> All right, Danny, well, well, we'll let you go. Well, thank you so much for taking the no, time anytime, to do this. Anytime. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, uh, having me on. No worries. All the best at Blackpool and with everything else. Great stuff. Cheers, Dan. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Wouldn't you know it, once again, bumped into Tony Mowbray here at, here at Brockhall. Tony, how'd you take your brew, mate? Very basic, really. Uh, tea, quite strong. Uh, two sugars. And, uh, and I always drink out of my favourite mug. Oh, which uh, which one is it? Oh, uh, yeah, it's good, isn't it? I got it from the Middlesbrough store. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, from, yeah. Oh, no, 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 Tony, not the middle, the, the Rovers one. Oh, this one, right. Yeah, you can get them personalised at, um, at the Terrace store. Course, and as uh, members of Rovers, I've got you can get them personalized with all the different players of your choice. Oh, which you know, which which, which players would you have then? Well, you, you obviously, you've got your, your Lenahans, your Dax, um, Danny Grahams, proper, proper professional footballers, but obviously, I've chosen my favorite, Elliot Bennett. Oh, of, of course. Well, Joe Rothwell's one of my favorite players. Any plans to get a mug? He'll just have to wait his turn, I think. Yeah, but you know, if you want to get one of these, get your hands on one. You just have to go to the uh, go to the Terra store and then the BRFCS at checkout. Oh well, that's that's brilliant then. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, it's fine. But remember, only Tony drinks out of the Elliot Bennett mug. You'll have to get yourselves one with I don't know Ben Brereton on it. Oh, well, okay then. So once again, thanks to Andy Bays of Radio Lancashire, thanks to Stephen and Jay of the NYC Rovers, and last but not least, thanks to the guys at the Symmetry Band for all the music used in this episode. And don't forget to visit our sponsors, theterrisstore.com, and when you reach the checkout, enter BRFCS to get a 10% discount. I'm I'm sorry that was such a answer honestly I
Social Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All you mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.